plans for the summer. Get a tan that'll really last, through Thanksgiving at least. Work on backhand and serve. Be outrageous. Screw every stud on the godforsaken island. Feast upon the flesh. There had been a strange quality to her memories of that summer, Penny realized later on, that had reduced those months before the crime to jagged moments indelibly engraved. They were vivid, dreamlike too, clouded by distortion, as if her angle of vision had been cockeyed. She'd seen, but she hadn't seen. It was something like that, she thought. She'd watched, observed, figured things out a certain way, but in the end had gotten everything wrong. Bar Harbor had been filled with college kids. There were parties day and night, pot parties, sex parties, sailing parties, parties on the beach, so many they all blurred into one. And the boys who followed after Susie, those tits and ass men from Princeton and Yale, they blurred too, she thought, into a savage pack. It was as if Susie gave off a perfume, and the boys were dogs who'd caught her scent. They pranced and strutted, were chosen and used, then discarded they limped away. It was, Penny thought, a massacre, young men broken one by one upon a battlefield of lust. She had watched nights from the rocking chair by the open window of her room, making the rockers creak back and forth against the old wooden floor of the Victorian house. The window looked out on the garden and the little cottage by the pool where Susie played and slept. All summer Penny studied her sister, wondered about her, tried to understand what she was doing down there, and why. It was love that forced her to watch, love for Susie, deep concern and fear, fear that something was terribly wrong, and that there was another story containing a deeper truth hiding in the shadows around the pool house at night. All summer she had read, devoured novels. She flew through Jane Austen, George Eliot, Dickens, Thackeray, the Brontes, flew through the pages, became heady on the words. She hated Bar Harbor and promised herself she'd never spend another summer there again. On the 4th of July, she watched Susie move into the pool house. Several of her boyfriends helped, former and would-be lovers, stupid Yaleys, Princeton jocks. They carried Susie's clothes and her stereo and her furniture and her waterbed, which first, under her supervision, they emptied out the window through a hose. The gardener was annoyed. Penny could tell because of the fierce way he snapped his trimming shears. The contents of the waterbed, poured out the window, turned his flower beds into lakes. Her mother watched, too, standing on the terrace, a long frosted goblet in her hand. She didn't say anything, just stood very still, thin, withered, pale, watching Susie move. Susie's explanations? Her bedroom was too hot. In the cottage, she'd sleep better. She wanted to play her stereo at night without worrying about disturbing other members of the family. Her real reason? Penny knew, was that she wanted to make love to her army of boyfriends without trooping them through the house. After they helped her, the boys got their rewards. Susie pushed all three of them into the pool and then stood on the edge, hands on her hips, roaring with laughter while they thrashed about. Susie's best friend, Cynthia French, stood beside her and laughed too. They wore matching Sarah Lawrence t-shirts and running shorts with racing stripes. Later, one of the boys, trying to redeem himself, prepared to make a flashy dive. Penny saw Susie watch him with contempt.
then turn away just before his plunge. Mother, I'm sick and tired of having sun marks on my back, all right? Still, dear, nobody gives a shit, mother. In Europe, everyone goes topless on the beach. But the gardener, dear, let him gape if it turns him on. For God's sake, mother, who cares what Tucker thinks? Mrs. Baring took another sip of gin. We'll wait and see what your father says. He won't say anything, I bet. Susie was right. When their father came up to Maine that weekend, he didn't say a word.